folks, welcome back to Indaba Africa. This is Chris once again. Hello, folks. Welcome back to Chris Wine Africa. This is Chris coming to you live from Central Pennsylvania once again. And I have a guest today who many of you have asked to have on for a long time. Uh, I made a uh, not the best effort to contact him last year. I don't think I had the right information. That happens at times. But as you know, folks, I did over 400 interviews in about four months, four and a half months last year. So I was very busy. I was my own personal assistant booking all these people and and, and taking the rejections and taking the acceptance and setting it all up. So uh, somewhere along the way, that, that got missed. But recently, uh, a few of our viewers have said, hey, how come you've never had Simon Roche from Sightlanders on your channel? I said, well, circumstance and time, and there you go. And then I, I heard from a viewer that um, he was keen to come on the program. And so here we are today. Let me welcome none other than Simon Roche from Sightlanders. Uh, welcome to the program, Simon. How's it? It's well. It's well. Thank you very much, Chris. Thank you for having Sightlanders on your program. And if I may quickly just apologize for the scruffy appearance. Uh, usually we're a lot more formal. I've been a little bit unwell, so uh, it... Uh, yeah, it's a bit easier this way. Now, I, I get it entirely, Simon. I went to Colorado to work out there, do consultant work in August. And I came back after spending three hours and 48 minutes. And yes, I did keep track of the time. Three hours and 48 minutes in a line waiting to get to the three representatives from American Airlines because my flight was delayed four times. Uh, standing next to about 1,500 plague carriers, despite wearing a diaper on my face, a nappy there, um, I somehow got sick with something. It wasn't the Rona. I was tested multiple times throughout the course of the illness, and it took me a good three weeks to come out of that. So I can empathize if you're feeling under the weather. I hope you feel better. But thanks for coming on when you're not feeling particularly um, you know, chipper and 100%. We appreciate that. No, it's a, it's a great pleasure. It's a great pleasure for Saitlanders to be on your show. Well, I've actually had one person who has an affiliation with Sightliners. I don't know his current status, but uh, I was asked last year to get um, Vian Dutoy on my program. And I brought him on. We talked about about his time as a POW in Cabinda in Angola and what happened there. And um, then um, he mentioned to me at a point, some point that um, he did I don't, either consultancy or advising role at Sightliners. And I said, really? Well, I've been trying to get someone from Sightlanders on just to talk about this group because my audience is keen to find out more about it. So he came back on. It was, I think, a brilliant stream. I think he represented your organization very well. But uh, he's the only person. So now let me understand your your title because uh, people that aren't familiar with the group, um, a lot of people associate your face with, are you the guy that runs the organization, your president? Or what exactly do you do, you do with Sightlanders? No, I'm, I'm actually just the head of the smallest of our departments or the smallest of our, our sections. Saitlanders is composed of two legs. Colonel Dutoy is now the head of the Saitlanders defense leg. And then we have a, a civilian leg because we are, after all, constituted as a civil defense organization under international law. And uh, that 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 uh, civilian league is Recording composed of um, uh, a, a communication and security and civilian defensibility and logistics and so the list goes on. Um, and the the smallest of all of those civilian departments, if you like, is what we call the foreign section because it's not even big enough to really be a department. And so I've spent a lot of time talking on behalf of Saitlanders. I did a tour of the USA a few years ago of, of six months long, another of about six weeks, another of three weeks, another of two weeks, a couple in Europe. And over time, I've kind of become, uh, to some extent, the face in some people's eyes, I suppose, of Saitlanders. But it's a fallacy, really. 
I'm not the, the, the founder or the leader. Our founder is Mr. Gustav Miller, founded the organization 20 years ago. Uh, he remains our leader and only joined the organization five years ago. So I'm very much a newcomer. Uh, I would say the majority, 50% or more of Saiglanders, have been around longer than I have. Well, uh, Simon, thank you very much for that. That also clarifies a few things for our audience to, to understand what's really happening and what's your role in it. Appreciate that. By the way, sorry for the disruption there. I had not started the recording button on the stream. Don't worry, the broadcast is out, but I also do a backup in case YouTube deletes my channel so I have the interviews. Um, last year, I had a two-hour interview with Steve Hoffmeyer, and I didn't record it. And so when my channel was deleted, I kind of kind of was uh, heartbroken about that. But I do have it located in another place. But anyway, uh, so sorry about that distraction. But yeah, that's very helpful. I appreciate the honesty and the under, and the clarity. So understand, a lot of people, as you said, see you as the face of Sightlanders, but that's not really your role. It's just because you've you've been so engaged with the public that that's come across that way. So let me ask this question of you, Simon. Um, what exactly is Sightlanders? Because it's portrayed in the fake stream, lamestream media in South Africa in a negative light whenever it's mentioned. It is misunderstood, I believe, based on what I've been able to find out about the organization. But I want you to share with the audience, what is the role of it? Because I've had people on my program who've been survivalists and preppers, and uh, they say, well, it's kind of like that, and it's an early warning network, and it's this, and it's that. Can you tell us a little bit, and before you answer, in the interest of full disclosure, in the midst of the chaos in KwaZulu-Natal and in Hauteng in July, I did early on from the 8th, the 9th, the 10th, the 11th, ask where all these civic defense groups or so-called civic defense groups and early warning networks and all these all these, um, all these organizations that supposedly exist in South Africa, where were they as communities were left to their own devices with no saps, no sand def, no one around to protect them. They had to take up arms, pick up sticks, find what weapons they had to defend their neighborhoods. Now, I asked that question generally, and I did mention Sightlanders and Boer Legion and stuff. Now, I didn't do it in an attacking fashion. I asked the question, where, where are they at? Because I'm not in South Africa. I'm not on a list to get a notification if something happens. I'm not in a community defense organization there. The, if these things were active and doing things, it wasn't publicly viewable. It, and maybe that's intentional. But what I'm saying is that it wasn't in the media. It was never talked about. No one could tell me where anybody was. I even had people from different organizations who say they were in those organizations came on my program and they couldn't explain anything. So you don't have to get in the case that anything. We can get to that a little bit. But what I'm getting at is that I'm just letting you full disclosure. I, I, I said those things. They weren't derogatory, but I asked that question. Some people's feelings were hurt. And I said, well, if your feelings are hurt by me asking a legitimate journalistic question, then maybe you need to grow up. Anyway, I, I don't think that you're going to have to grow up, Simon. You won't take offense to that. That's it was a fair question, but can you tell us what exactly is Sightlanders and what does it do? In 1994, our leader and founder, uh, Mr. Gustav Miller, on the day of the elections, I'm trying to recall the story as he told it to me some years ago. On the day of, his, of the 1994 elections, he had a, a, a conviction. He'd been wrestling with this thing for some time as a, a, a trained military intelligence officer. He, he, he finally resolved in his mind that this thing is not going to work. The new South Africa rainbow nation has inherent flaws, according to his training, that mean that it, it just can't work. You, you can only paper over so many cracks. So he's driving in his, in his car and he prayed. He said, Lord, if there's something that I can do for my people in what I foresee to be a, you know, a recipe for disaster, use me. A few years later, he decided he had a business, successful business, but he, he decided that it was now time to put his money where his mouth is, so to speak, you know, in the English expression. And he founded 
little initiative uh, doing kind of uh, religious work, if you like, some kind of evangelism uh, amongst the Afrikaners, Boerfolk, you know, a small thing, day one kind of thing. After some time, they formalized a little bit and there was some you know, prayer and fasting, what have you, and they came up with a name, but the organization wasn't registered yet. And then after some more time, it, involved, it evolved in, into something else, namely a civil defense initiative. So what had happened was our leader had this conviction, personal conviction, that this is a recipe for disaster. The ANC is a wolf in sheep's clothing. They don't have the competent people. This is never going to work out well. Uh, I'm going to, I want to do something. He begins by trying to motivate his people to stay strong in the face of the onslaught, as many ultra-conservative people perceived it then, and rightly so, it's turned out to be, and it evolved, and it evolved, and it evolved, and it evolved until perhaps 20 years ago, or not even, I don't know, the organization became a formal civil defense initiative constituted under the provisions of the protocols additional to the Geneva Conventions, specifically Article 60 to 69 of Protocol 1 additional to the Geneva Conventions. For those who don't know, in 1948, I believe, the Geneva, the, the latest iteration, it's not the only Geneva Conventions in history, were, were uh, ratified uh, following World War II for the purposes of governing how war is prosecuted. You know, you, you can't use this type of weapon, you can't do that, what have you. In 1977, or in the run-up to 1977, people had perceived that there were loopholes in the Geneva Conventions. So they added three protocols additional, and they were ratified and adopted in 1977. And those three protocols pertain mostly to the circumstances of civilians in wartime, in international conflicts, and in what they call non-international conflicts, which to you and me is simply civil war. And as I say, there are provisions which provide explicitly for identifiable ethnic groups anywhere in the world who perceive that they may be under threat in the breakup of their society. We're talking now about particularly about civil war or non-international conflict. That those people can group together as an ethnic group, as as uh, Hutus, as Jews, as Pygmies, as uh, Mayan Indians, or whatever in Mexico, these sort of embattled ethnic uh, uh, Aboriginal people of Central America, if they perceive that they may be the subject of persecution as an ethnic group, and they may prepare a, an emergency plan for circumstances of civil war. So I can't, as a member of safe lumbers, under the aegis of these laws, I can't today justify some action against somebody else, a black person, an Indian person, a colored person, a Chinese person. I can only execute a national emergency plan to protect myself, my family, my friends, people like me, the ethnically similar to me under circumstances of civil war or similar. There are the whole range of criteria where a, a group, not an individual, an entire group is threatened because they are that group. 
just as the Hutus were persecuted, and just as the Jews were persecuted, and the the the, the uh, I'm trying to think of these uh, of uh, in World War One the massacre by the the Turks of the um, Armenians, the, the Armenians, Armenians. Yeah. That's the word I'm looking for. So we are exactly the same as those different three groups that I've just mentioned. Now, of course, there are hundreds more examples in their circumstances or in the run-up to their circumstances. So what we're preparing is a national emergency plan whereby if it should happen that the blue-eyed boy of the world, the, the new South Africa rainbow nation, should happen to fail, and if we should happen to go into crisis, and if that crisis should lead to a cataclysm, and if that cataclysm should fracture along racial lines, that we can remove our people from areas of conflict. And the law is very specific about this. You may not be a party to the conflict. You may not group together and say, right, now we're going to box everybody. You, the law provides only that your ethnic group, be it Jews, be it Armenians, be it Hutus or, or Tutsis, I beg your pardon, or white people in South Africa, you may remove yourself from the conflict. You may establish a safe area, you may erect a perimeter or declare a perimeter and declare the protection of international law and there seek refuge away from the conflict. Uh, and that, I think, encapsulates everything. And it also goes to your uh, allusion to what happened in KwaZulu-Natal. Those circumstances did not legitimize Saitlanders taking action. However, many Saitlanders, uh, many, many, many Saitlanders were involved in protecting their, their daughters and their wives and their sons and their families and their properties. For instance, it was a Saitlander who was responsible, a man I know very, very well, who was responsible for the donation of the nine helicopters full of ammunition that was taken from Gauteng over the Drakensberg into the Natal Midlands and then given to the police and to the, the local civilians. Uh, Saitlanders were heavily involved in the protection of the communities on the south coast of Natal and the north coast of Natal. Very, very, very heavily involved, but in their personal capacities as civilian members of the community, not as Saitlanders, because we did not have a legitimate aegis of law to execute our mandate under the, 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 the Geneva Conventions. There was no aegis because there was no out-and-out no civil war. Well, you've actually uh, answered a few questions there. Let me just recap this. Some things I was going to ask, Simon. So thanks a lot for that description. Uh, I mean, also, uh, I'm well aware of, of the um, flights of ammunition coming in, but the press was unclear on where it came from, what was going on, or the fact that helos were being used for it. I was under the impression that light aircraft were being used, so it's it's good to, to get an update on that. And also was unaware that a sight lander was responsible for that. But we all know that the police quickly ran out of ammunition. Many of them had virtually no ammunition to start with. They ran out of rubber bullets, and they ran out of live bullets. Um, they were isolated, fragmented, easily picked off because the government is an abject failure, but that's a whole other story. By the way, a little news flash for those tuning in, the 170 people currently watching, um, South Africa is a failed state. It's, it's not becoming a failed state. The ANC has destroyed this country in less than three decades. They inherited an opportunity to turn one of the greatest nations in the world into something wonderful, and they've gone the opposite direction. But the, the questions you answered here uh, specifically is that your organization – 
Sightlanders operates under the aegis of the 1949 Geneva Conventions, which to most of the world, the focus on the 1949 was about proportionality and impact of military actions on civilians. But there are clauses in there which you've alluded to, and you said, I think it's um, Article 60 to 69 and the protocols there that, discuss, that talk about it, that allow for the protection of ethnic minorities when there's a civil war and they become targets. And the and the, the point you're making about KZN action and Teng is that this was not specific in action that was directed against the ethnic minority that you're involved in. And so you didn't have a legal justification to activate and do whatever plans you may have. I got that correct, yes? Yeah, it would have been difficult to satisfy the burden of proof. You know, people, it, 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 to you and me, to, to what we call in Roman Dutch law, the reasonable man. Yeah. According to the reasonable man test, it was beyond dispute that it was a certain ethnic group invading the residential suburbs of certain other ethnic groups and threatening them with with violence so technically you could say that perhaps we could have gotten away with but you know as well as i do that unless it's absolutely blatant in the new south africa unless it's indisputable and incontrovertible it's going to be hurled back on us as some kind of you know overstepping the mark getting carried away hating black people blah 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 you know all sorts of racist nonsense so we had to we couldn't let slip the dogs of war we had to keep everything in check and reined in and, and chris sorry if i may just make yeah, one other point sure i don't know how many light aircraft or helicopters or different initiatives there were to get ammunition into uh, kwazulu natal but the the one single story which at one point was quite a hot topic of of material that was delivered into the Natal Midlands near Peter Marisburg and then fed through down to the coast is the is the single one to which I'm referring. And I, I need to make that clear just in case somebody who made some other contribution becomes offended that their, their sort of glory was stolen or, or whatever. Well, also to make the point, because people like to take clips of videos and misrepresent what you say. So when I say you, I mean all of us. They like to misrepresent what people say. Yes. It's, it's, it's a very common thing. So I, I have yes. noticed one thing about this in my brief conversation with you and also in, in, in having listened to you in the past and an organization. It seems like Sightlanders, um, and if I'm wrong, let me know. It seems like it has a, a strong anchor to faith. I'm going to assume this is a Christian faith, but uh, does it include Muslims or is is it and is faith a key component uh, for those who are part of Sightlanders? I mean, if you're if you're if you're an agnostic, uh, but you're concerned about the other community, can you be part of it, or do you have to be a devout person of faith? Yeah, the the um, the, uh, uh, the 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 protocols additional of 1977 to to 1948, as you corrected me allude to identifiable ethnic groups and they provide criteria. So it can be religious, it can be, you know, ethnic gene pool, clades, mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. And so we have determined for ourselves, or Mr. Miller, our leader and founder, has determined that his organization, Saitlanders, will be defined by race and religion because it can be, because it's perfectly legitimate to do so. So it is indeed very much a Christian organization. And people who know Mr. Miller will, you know, sort of testify that for him, it's kind of the, 
the primary lodestar. I think he's a Christian before he's anything else. And for him, faith is more important than anything else. Certainly as far as I'm concerned, having dealt with him fairly closely in recent years. So the, the, the short answer is very much so yes. Well, that's very helpful. Thank you. So let me ask this question because um, white South Africans, and that's a very diverse community. You've got Portuguese white South Africans. You've got even mm -hmm. ethnic Germans, fourth generation, who still speak German as the first language, consider themselves German, but are South African. Uh, you've got, yes. of course, the Afrikaans white community, which is about 2.4, 2.6 million South Africans. You've got English speakers who come from all backgrounds, Jews, Greeks, French, Brits, all kinds of things, uh, predominantly British, mm -hmm. but you're not. So... Um, the question, oh, I'm sorry, something just <laughs> dropped off there. So the, the, the question here is, there are lots of ethnicities within South Africa. We can break it down many, many different ways. We've got the Griquas amongst the colored population. You've got the, the, yes. the Western Cape people, the folks who speak Kapsa. You've, you've got, um, you've got um, also amongst uh, the Bantu tribes, you have very smaller groups like the Tswana speakers, 2.6 million in, in the Northwest in Haltang. Mm. And you've got the Sutu and you've got uh, some Swazi. Uh, does Sightlanders work with or have any affiliation with any groups that might be representing those communities concerned about if the balloon goes up, what would happen to the Tswana, what will happen to the Greek, what will happen to others? Uh, is that something you do? Because if it is, it's not something uh, widely known. I'm just curious because I know AFRI Forum, which is a civil rights organization, has provided lots of um, assistance and advice to ethnic minorities who aren't white South Africans. Now, you are under no obligation to do that. I'm just curious if you do something similar. Yes and no. We don't have um, close ties to any other ethnic group uh, in South Africa. However, we have been consulted about four years ago. Uh, I was approached on roughly six occasions by an organization of, or, or let's say representatives of Indian communities, as in Indian, as in Hindu. Yes. And... Probably, oh, I don't want to exaggerate, maybe three or four occasions by Muslim organizations or, or representative of Muslim communities in South Africa. And on every occasion, I was very happy to hold long conversations with them and to give them insights into how our national emergency plan uh, uh, will work, what we do have established and what we don't, and to provide them with copies of our hunt laden, our manual. In other words, what I was saying is, look, we're not going to get into bed with you. It's just not the way this thing is ever going to work. We're, we're pretty insular. We're pretty old-fashioned. We're pretty conservative. And we, we don't want to blur the lines at all. However, we will gladly give you the help that you may need to do the same as us for your community. And they seem to accept that very well. I never, ever got the slightest feeling of resentment. I never got the feeling that they felt we were shortchanging them or cheating them or being um, standoffish, supercilious by not, you know, wanting to forge close bonds. They were thrilled, you know, to, to learn more about Saitlanders, how far we progressed, how well we'd done, and to, to receive our documents. I, I, I got nothing but what seemed to me to be very sincere appreciation from them. However, I must point one thing out. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, sorry. And then the third group was a, a Cape colored community from the Western Cape. So about six times between those three ethnic groups. Uh, 
I have since told people that the Muslim people that I've dealt with are, as a, as a class, that is to say Muslim preppers, Muslim survivalists, Muslim ethnic uh, national emergency plan conscious people, people I've dealt with on this subject are better prepared than the average Saitlander. That's not a sentimental thing. It's a statement of mathematical fact. If you chat to them for long enough, you get to understand, you, you, you start to pick up on things and join the dots. And I've mentioned it many times, um, <clears throat> even in conversation with our leader, Mr. Miller, these guys that I've dealt with, not necessarily all of the Muslims of South Africa, not necessarily all of the ethnic Indian Muslims of South Africa, but the people with whom I've dealt are well jacked up. And I think to some extent that was uh, revealed during the violence in KwaZulu-Natal. I come from KwaZulu-Natal. I come from a Manzimtoti. <laughs> and for one reason and another, my dad insisted during apartheid on fishing on the Indian beaches, Isapingo Beach, Reunion Beach, and so on. Mm -hmm. And we were always three little boys and my dad, the only white people on those beaches. I never, ever saw one other white face on those beaches in my entire childhood, not even one exception. So I, I'm not saying I'm a great expert on the Natal Indians, but I know enough to know that I don't think that anybody in South Africa had any idea of how well prepared the Indians, both Hindu and Muslim alike, although I had some inkling about the Muslims, how well prepared they were prior to what happened a month and a half ago. Yeah, it was pretty impressive how quickly a lot of communities reacted. A little bit of overreaction, but that was very much in the minority, very much in the minority. Uh, the vast majority were well-behaved, well-disciplined, well-organized. It was really impressive, uh, and that's despite what I would consider basically a mainstream media blackout. I mean, honestly, Simon, when that thing kicked off, I was doing 12, 16 hours a day of research, live streaming, digging up footage, and reporting on this <coughs> repeatedly throughout the day. And where was uh, SABC? Where was ENCA? Well, ENCA did show up, but uh, most of the other ones weren't there, and their coverage of it was a we see now people calling it four days of chaos. Four days? It started on the 8th, and it didn't end until about the 18th and 19th. That thing went for 11 days. It's ridiculous. But, folks, uh, let me just point out right now, you're listening to Chris White Africa on the Adaba Africa channel. This is Chris in central Pennsylvania, retired U.S. Army officer, colonel, Africa specialist, and enthusiast for Southern Africa, to say the least. My special feature guest today is none other than Simon Roche from Sightlanders. And we're talking about what is Sightlanders, what are they all about, what are they doing, who's including the group, and that sort of thing. So lots of questions. I've got a couple questions I'll bring in from the chat here uh, for you real quick, Simon, if you don't mind. Um, earlier, Mazambane said, hi, Simon, I'm not a critic, but your evacuation plan is flawed. Okay, that's an opinion. Um, I don't know your evacuation plan, so I can't make that assessment, Simon. <laughs> so, uh, as we saw in KZ in July, once a community blocks the roads, you're stuck. Rather, defend your home. Don't go running about. Well, uh, there's a little bit of merit to what the gentleman's saying, but also uh, having spent 36 and a half years in the Army, uh, citizens putting up roadblocks in communities would not stop me from doing evacuation of people from place. But any thoughts or comments on that? I don't know if the gentleman's a sightlander and is aware of the evacuation plan, so I don't know if he can make a legitimate point to say it's flawed. Uh, any plan can be flawed. Yeah, but war is, to the greatest extent, lawless. You know, there, there are some laws. You, you know, the Geneva Conventions, for instance. But fundamentally, 
You're allowed to kill another human being. War is... Well, is, well, well, well to, to be clear, to be clear, in a declared conflict, a lawful combatant can do that. <laughs> and as long as... Yeah, means, yeah. Fair enough. But when you talk civil, civil war, civil, even civil half war, yeah. nine-tenths of those go out of the window. They, absolutely. So if, if I play rugby... I've got a strict set of rules that permit me to, you know, to behave in a way I like, but within very, very, very confined parameters. The same with soccer, the same with cricket, the same with baseball, the same with anything, the same with my work. What time I start, what time I finish, how much money I earn, uh, who's my boss. Under such circumstances, we can't anticipate everything. In rugby, you can anticipate the majority of what's going to happen and work around it. Whether you succeed or fail is another thing, but you can you can figure out how, how you're going to cope with this. It is true, and this is a, a, a historical bone of contention between Burelechiun and, and Seitlanders. We don't get into too many spats about it. We've kind of agreed to disagree, but over time, people have thrown stones at one another. And we've said, on balance... On balance, if, look, if if 500,000 Martians come down out of a spaceship and they build a, a laser beam barrier around your residence, your residential area, and then they all storm in with laser, obviously you're not going to get out. <laughs> obviously you're not. Obviously if you get caught short by rampaging mobs, as we saw in Natal, you're going to struggle to get out. That's perfectly true. And we've conceded this point to our critics many, many times. But we say that on balance, the preferable thing is to be able to evacuate and to be able to remove yourself from a conflict. Now, some people say, well, that's absolute rubbish. What you should do is you should stand fast and you should build a lager and you should get school buses and pull them across the road and all of this kind of thing. To which we reply, the moment that they turn off, they turn the stopcocks to the water supply to your suburb, you're finished yep. in, in modern times, in modern circumstances, in modern residential areas. The moment that the sewage begins to overflow in your suburb and cholera and diphtheria and tysis and typhoid fever from, from uh, fleas going crazy from the animals that are, you know, let out of their, their, their gardens, all of these things that really, actually, truly, genuinely happen in circumstances of anarchic conflict will put you and your family in a circumstance that will create conditions that are untenable, which is not to say that you're going to be able to get out every time. We've already conceded this point. We've used blasted Martians. We've used people from Venus. We've used Zulus. We've used, I don't know what examples we haven't used. We've used every possible example. We get it. We're not mentally retarded. But on balance, if you can get out, it's preferable to being trapped in your suburb with a two-two-three hunting rifle between every four men and a nine mil pistol between every three men and nothing for the young boys on in most cases apart from pellet guns for three months without water and without electricity so we have decided we have chosen 
to play according to the rules of rugby. We've said, this is what we want to do. I don't have the reflexes for cricket. I don't have the hand-eye coordination. I'm going to play rugby because I'm a little bit bulky and I'm strong enough I can cope with that. We believe that on balance, what is best suited to the circumstances of white South Africans, according to the spatial layout of South Africa, the apartheid-based spatial layout of South Africa, where white residential suburbs ring the city, the city is occupied overwhelmingly by black people, and the peri-urban areas are entirely black. You stand not a cat's chance in hell of standing fast. So if you can, under circumstances of civil war, if it should so transpire, and if it should so transpire that, that, that this uh, proposed civil war fractures along racial lines, God forbid it, may God forbid it, that my sons might live. But if it should happen, on balance, it is preferable to get out. And we're sticking to that. We have a plan for those people who are able to get out, to get to safety. It's a six-point plan, a six-phase plan, where if there's a threat, you meet uh, somewhere close to your residential area with your like-minded friends. You assess the situation as our Saitlanders groups along the length and breadth of KwaZulu-Natal did six weeks ago. As eight weeks ago now, they met and they sized up the situation. And in some cases, they then went to phase two, which is perhaps, roughly speaking, varies according to group and to sure. region and to province, 30 kilometers away. Mm -hmm. In some cases, they went to phase three. In some cases, they went to phase four. And in some cases, they went to phase six. We had people who arrived here and who arrived in the, the, the sectors, the receiving sector line of about 1,600 kilometers that we pre-identified. We had some people who came all the way into our safe area in the, in the uh, it's no secret, the, the rough vicinity of it, mm -hmm. the Northern Karoo, the Southern Free State, roughly speaking. It's known to, to, to most people what is our sector line. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to get into the operational details of of which because I mean that that's an opera as a military person. Operational security is fine with me. I appreciate you sharing that's very generous. But let me, uh, I mean, very quickly, let me um, make a couple points and then bring one of the other questions in mm. from the from the viewers. Um, I, I do need to make a correction here. You said that rugby, the rules, the laws are very clear. Generally, I would agree with that statement unless the Springboks are playing and there's an Australian referee. Then the rules just don't apply. If you sneeze, then you lose the scrum. If you trip, it was a knock-on. I'm just saying, okay? You know, uh, and if you're Bismarck Duplessis and you don't touch the other player, you get a yellow card and then another yellow card and a red card. So whenever a French official is calling a Springboks game, the rules, the laws are out the window. I thought I should mention that. And also, I've got to mention this very quickly, Simon. Thanks a lot to all the people who come in. No doubt some Sightlanders are watching the program tonight. Thank you for that. Uh, we're up over 200 viewers, but apparently it seems very apparent to me that the like button is malfunctioning. Just 91 likes. Listen, folks, it costs you nothing to watch this other than the cost of your data if you're in South Africa, unless you have an unlimited plan. 
So smash the like button. I mean, Simon's not getting paid for this. I'm not getting paid for this. Certainly not because there's zero super chats there. I'm telling you. I think what's happening is, is Simon, is people are engrossed in the conversation. They're enjoying or at least in, in, in understanding and learning something or, or maybe they don't like it, whatever the case is, and they forget to smash that like button. So very want to make sure, very much want to make sure we get there. I want to say a shout out to the ward counselor from Nelson Mandela Bay from the Democratic Alliance who's coming in and being cheeky against Simon. That would be Ronaldo Jos who's in the program. So welcome, Ronaldo. By the way, I don't know if you know this, Simon, but Ronaldo does uh, a pretty good um, voice impersonation of you. He does lots of impersonations. Uh, it's oh, not, does he? No, uh, it's not very complimentary, but it's pretty good. <laughs> Just so you know. Oh, dear me. An <laughs> another another somebody to add to the list of... Nah, uh, nah. Ronaldo, Ronaldo's just, he's just cheeky. So we had another question, this from a longtime viewer who seemed to have disappeared. I thought maybe he moved to the Northern Karoo and became a hermit. Bismarck Bear is back and he says, a question for Simon. In Simon's opinion, where does a sightlander organization need most prepping attention? Better said, what section of the plan does he think needs more attention? Um, I think most people aren't aware of all the sections of the plan. Uh, I, I don't want you necessarily to disclose operational details. OPSEC is important for a military person. But if you could address from this standpoint, generally speaking for prep, what's probably the most important thing that a prepper needs to do to be ready when the balloon goes up? Is that a fair question? Yeah, that's a fair question. I think there are two questions implied there, or, or, or perhaps and or. Okay. I think on, a, on a, a, a personal level, you know, this is a deep, 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 it's an enormous question. On Monday, they released the figures of the unpayable debt in the world now. Mm. And anybody who follows Gerald Salenti or, or, or Harry S. Dent Jr. or Jim Ricards or, I mean, the list is just uh, uh, Max Kaiser, um, the head of the world's largest uh, hedge fund, I, I can't think of his name for a second, uh, the famous billionaire Scott, 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 what is his name in, um, in California, the only man in history supposedly who's made a billion dollars or more from zero twice. Um, there is a, a phenomenal economic collapse coming. So my answer would be, you've, you've got to prepare yourself to cope with a currency crisis in circumstances of civil war. $296 trillion of unpayable derivative-based debts are going to possibly form the background to any crisis in the world anywhere in over the next few years. That's what these geniuses think, including the people who are invested in the system. It's not just the crazy guys on the periphery who, th who think this way. So <clears throat> when I say things like that, I see people's eyes kind of not glaze over, but they go a little bit blank. They want to hear about, you know, 308 versus 30 odd six. Yep. And I, I'm just not the right guy for that. I'm the guy who's going to say to you, Silver, 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 silver. If you have silver, you can buy bullets. If you have silver, you can buy uh, 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 weapons. Mm -hmm. I'm not discouraging you from making a weapon your absolute priority, if that's your way of thinking, if that's what you think is most important. But for me to say a weaver's loom is number eight, and then number nine is 17 bolts of 168-gram cloth, you know, yeah, yeah. it's it's not... 
No, but Simon, Simon, I, I, listen, you just got my attention. I've been railing about our debt for over 30 years. Now, of course, a lot of that was just in personal conversations, diplomatic quarters behind mm-hmm. the scenes, because I was an intelligence professional, not exactly out in the press and the public. But since yeah. I've since I've left active service in October 2019, I've been raising the debt over and over again. You know, people like to talk about the debt in terms of the United States, and they talk about, yeah, well, $27 mm-hmm. trillion, uh, or $30 trillion of federal debt. But that's nothing. The U.S. true debt is north of about $150 trillion of unfunded pension liabilities, medical schemes, debt at county, state, municipal, and the federal level, corporate debt, consumer debt. We are so buried and mired in debt. If it were not for the fact that the world only has two reserve currencies, the euro and the dollar, our economy would be in free fall from that alone. And now we have idiots in Washington, D.C. who've already proposed a $6 trillion federal budget. That's larger than 130 countries in the world combined. Six trillion for the federal budget. And then another 3.5 uh, reconciliation trillion plus a 1.9 infrastructure bill. It's all a scam. That takes us well north of $10 trillion in a single year, which is outrageous. That's nearly the size of the Chinese entire economy, our federal government spending that. People talk about Sweden as a socialist country. <laughs> the United States government sucks more out of the economy than they do. But but you've, you've hit on something. You've definitely got my attention there. Here's another question for you, Simon. Um, Johan Fo, an interesting last name, F-O, uh, must be just a username, says, please ask Simon. Now, that this one... I don't really think it's a question for you, Simon. And you and I talked before the stream about a video that I just produced that I did a teaser for on YouTube and I put the actual video on on, um, on Odyssey because they still have free speech on Odyssey. And that was about vaxxed versus unvaxxed. So the question that Johan's asking, and, 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 and you can answer this if you want, but I, I don't really want to lay it in your lap. But uh, do you have some... Uh, okay, excuse me. So requests... Wait a minute, I'm in the wrong one. Oh, no, it is. Okay, please request Simon to give Sightlanders counter to the new... Divide strategy between vaxxers and non-vaxxers, no longer racial divide. Oh, okay. I think really the point he's saying is that is the whole divide now in South Africa no longer racial and and maybe now it's between the jabbed and the unjabbed. I, I, don't, I don't think that's accurate. I think that's two fronts and two wars that are going on simultaneously. What are your thoughts, Simon? I think you're spot on. I don't think that, that um, the, the kind of racial uh, fault lines have gone away. Um, if anything, I think that they've worsened. However, there's a new front that has opened up. And we have a lot in common with one another. Yesterday, which eight, roughly eight people, you know, intelligent, competent, capable, qualified people spoke about the perniciousness of the vaccine. And only one was white. And she was, God bless her, you know, I don't mean to demean her, but she was by far the poorest speaker, and she spoke well enough. These Indian and colored people, for the most part of the other, the rest of the eight, spoke far better, far more eloquently, far more learnedly than she did about why this thing is no good. So, um, look, <clears throat> Marula Media published a thing not so long ago, I suppose five weeks ago, roughly, uh, in which they revealed that the Afrikaners have the highest uh, opposition to the vaccine in of all the ethnic groups in South Africa. I then compared that study, the study on which they reported to a study overseas, done overseas, covering different countries, you know, who's anti-vax and who's not and what have you. And Afrikaners in South Africa are far and away the most anti-vaccine people in the whole world. <coughs> but this person points out, uh, Stefan Foe, for sure, I don't know, 
points out, rightly so, that there are many black people in South Africa who are looking at this thing exceedingly skeptically because it just doesn't add up. The story is so nonsensical. You know, the, the, we began to report, Saitlanders, we got onto this thing very quickly. You know the Army War College in Pennsylvania, Carlisle, we were speaking about it earlier. You were the head of a, a department there. Um, I've been there twice, and I've got some friends there and some friends of friends and what have you. And we got some leaks in January, February, March, April, May, June, sporadically from not only, but including Army War College, U.S. Army War College in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, about information that was floating around about this, this, uh, this disease. And the first, one of the first things that came to our attention was the fish market or the market is a wholesale market, number one. And it has never, ever, 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 ever traded in bats. You can, you can trust us. On this. Oh, you're talking about particularly the, you're talking about the, wholesale. the Wuhan wet market. Yeah, particularly individual bats. It's a wholesale fish market. And so we began producing videos, calling the lie on this thing. And of course, there were many more. Then they said it came from a pangolin, which means it came from South Africa or the peripheries of other countries near South Africa, other Southern African countries. But the chances were, you know, 999 out of 1,000 that came from South Africa. And again, these guys were saying, it has never sold pangolins. It only sells fish. It particularly has never sold individual pangolins because it's a wholesale market. The point being, we could discuss this all night long. We could discuss the uh, the patent certificate for, uh, held by the Perbright Institute, which hung around on the, and we had a copy of it, yeah. which hung around on their website for about six weeks and then suddenly disappeared. We could talk about the, the advisory from the Boston Consulting Group saying that in Sierra Leone, beginning in the town of Wigidigidugu, uh, on Monday, the 4th of May, we'll experience the first wave, you know, and then it will take six and a half days to reach the capital of whatever. The, the, there's just so much about this story that is yeah. absolutely no, tripe. And we, we can, it is. And, and uh, unfortunately, on this platform, it's unsafe for legitimate conversation questions about it. So we'll probably, let's shift from that Oh, now. me, sorry. No, 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 you're fine. You're fine. I just want to make sure we get too far down the, down the rabbit hole because you'll get censored on, on the poo tube. But uh, Johan Fro enjoyed your answer. He, he thanked you for the answer. And that's, uh, he agreed with that. I did get a, a little housekeeping here. Apparently the super chat button works because Lynn Duplessis gave a 33 rand super chat. Thank you for that, Lynn. Very kind of you. Uh, and the super but or not super chat, the uh, the like button started working, but then it, it's it's malfunctioned again. We got well over 200 people. We got up to 146 likes, but apparently people are unwilling to pay the price of admission, which is pushing the like button. So I'm sorry to see that, but there's always freeloaders at every concert. They slip in from the side there. You know, they're all going to that Dirk van der Vestoys and Net So concert. You know, they're having a little fun there. Anyway, but uh, I, I've seen a couple reports, Simon, and I don't trust polls out of South Africa these days, a couple reports that the group that is most strongly opposed ethnically in South Africa to to jabs is not Afrikaners, so to speak, but but the colored community. Yeah. They seem to be very much opposed mm. to it. So, I mean, but without getting in that conversation, there is mm. resistance to it for a variety of reasons because people don't trust the government. The government's misled us, yada, yada. But let me, let me, let me switch to something else, Simon, here and, and get your thoughts on this. I get incredibly frustrated as a non-South African 
being far better informed about the activities of organizations in South Africa than many South Africans are. So for instance, I observed in the chat here, that's why I bring this up, the confusion of people conflating the responsibilities and the roles of different organizations. For instance, someone was just yep. going after the Democratic Alliance and, and someone correctly pointed out the Democratic Alliance is a political party. It's not ethnically based. Anybody can join the Democratic Alliance. Whereas your organization does a specific function under the auspices of the 1949 Geneva Conventions to protect an ethnic minority based on ethnicity and religious basis. What you do is, in some, some things overlap, but but you can't be held to the same standard expectation of a political party like the Democratic Alliance because you're not in government, for starters. The mm. next thing is mm. that you've got organizations like Afri Forum, which is a civil rights organization. People are always mm. confusing Afri Forum, Democratic Alliance, the Institute for Race Relations, mm. Boer Legion, mm. mm. all, all these groups confusing. Why isn't Boer Legion do this? Why isn't Sightliners doing that? Why isn't DA doing this? Mm. Uh, do you mm. have any sense of frustration? It sounds like you do about my point here. Yeah, no, you're absolutely spot on, Chris. It happens all the time. People ask us why we, we're not running feeding schemes, why we're not going, getting involved in, in farm murder, security, protection, whatever. I mean, it's just absolutely absurd. It's like me arriving at your, your uh, I don't know what, your um, football. You're throwing football in, in Central Park or some park in Pennsylvania. And I arrive there and I start criticizing you for not spending more time playing baseball. But you've every Monday night for 30 years, you and your buddies from wherever, from the military, have gotten together. If you were in the USA at the time, if you were in Pennsylvania at the time, if you were in your hometown at the time, you've been playing this, you know, throwing the football in the park on a Monday evening for 30 years. And I arrive and I say, well, I don't know why, but why, why, did, why won't you play? But I want to play baseball. I want to be part of you. Baseball is what I want to do. And you kind of look at one another thinking, how do we even exist, this idiot? How, how do we deal with Simon? He's so dumb. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just, uh, I'm chuckling because you're right. Um, there's a question that came in here that was something, I just got to check the time on this. Where do my timestamps go? Um, sorry, I just, uh, I need to get my timestamps back because I can't, oh, there it is, 12.50, my time, it came up. So uh, after the super chat, that's why I missed it. But there's a question from Bismarck Bear here again. I just got to find it real quick. I want to get to it because it ties into a question I was going to ask you anyway uh, without revealing operational security. Gosh, there's a lot of comments here. Thank you all for the comments. Where's it at? Sorry, sorry Simon. Uh, okay, I got it now. Got it. No. Okay. The problem is I can't copy from my streaming software. The text isn't copyable. I've got to go into the studio. So uh, all the little um, admin stuff you got to figure out here. Anyway, so um, yeah. So uh, by the way, uh, Nels uh, or Niels uh, Heidenrich or Heidenrich. Uh, said, hi, Simon, Chris. Simon, you've been quiet for a long time. Thanks for the chat. Uh, coming out of Kronstadt. So uh, just, uh, and, and I, I don't think I've heard much of you lately either. So it's kind of exciting to have you on. Bismarck Bear asked a question about ham radios working if the balloon goes up scenario, if the grid goes down to walkie-talkies. And he's talking exactly about something I've pointed out many times in the past. And that is that you cannot rely on the mobile telephone network because the government can shut it down at their whim. They can't shut down ham radios. They can't shut down point-to-point -point brick radios, that sort of thing, FM. So uh, without getting up details. I was going to ask you, and it kind of ties to this. Uh, I understood, uh, hopefully correctly, that one of the things that Sightlanders does is they have an early warning network for their members so they can alert them to concerns and dangers. Uh, so kind of let's tie these two things together. Do you in fact have an early warning network? And I assume you test it periodically. And if you do, um, if you don't want to reveal the details, um, are you wholly dependent on GSM phones or do you have multiple means of communication? We have multiple means. When I first joined Sightliners or became involved, I am um, <clears throat> quite an enthusiastic and energetic person and I 
chatted to senior leaders and managers, what have you, and, you know, I'd like to contribute this or I'd like to participate in that or whatever. You, you know, you come with certain preconceptions. And very early on, I learned, although I didn't fully appreciate it, Saitlander's obsession with radios, different radios, different bands, different capacities, because Saitlander's foresaw well in advance that WhatsApp and GSM phones and 4G and whatever else is not going to be reliable and dependable, which is not to say that radios are flawless and faultless and foolproof. Or water, watertight is, or waterproof is maybe a better way of putting it. Um, so, yeah, we have layers, layers of solutions. And what we try very hard to do is to encourage our groups. St. Honest, for, for people who don't know, is theoretically made up like this. Ten families make up a group. Ten groups make up a region. Ten regions make up a province. And we have 30, it changed recently some provinces were added and then one was taken away, you know, to accommodate new people coming in. Uh, I think we have 35 provinces at present. If you work that out, it's, you know, it's like, uh, I'm not sure what number, but I think 100, and, I can't remember. Uh, and I can't do the, the mental arithmetic through the COVID-19. Um, but it's many hundreds of thousands of members. That's theoretical. Obviously, in practice, it's not like that. But the point is, that we encourage our provinces and we encourage our provinces to encourage their regions and we encourage so on down to the group level, down to the family level, have redundancy, have your phone on, keep it next to your bed, uh, have a working radio. It's great if you have a dual band, if you have uh, extra this, if you have two radio solutions, if you are closely connected to the people around you, if you have different ways of getting in touch with them, that is absolutely paramount because in the circumstances which we envisage, let's say the circumstances of KwaZulu-Natal, as that guy rightly pointed out, you know, my response was not anti him, it was anti the idea that our plan could be completely correct and some other plan completely right. Sure. But the, the person who spoke earlier about uh, a flawed plan or, or staying behind, whatever. In circumstances such we ha as we had in KwaZulu, where it can be very difficult to get out, if there's a net closing, you need to be able to communicate and create a critical mass of people to create a convoy to remove yourself. It's the most vital thing. Nothing is more important than, than communication. So it's a spot-on question. No, I agree 100%. Let me do a bit of housekeeping real quick, Simon, and then just respond to that as a, a signalier, a former communications NCO. Uh, Citizen Guardian, who's a, a prepper, and he's quite a good oak. He's been on my program in the past, does a great job teaching people prepping skills. Um, he gave a super chat at 21 Rand, a little super sticker. Thanks for that, Citizen Guardian. Good to see you in the chat. I was hoping you'd show up because I know this would be right down your lane. As far as communication, Simon, I think you hit it spot on. Redundancy, redundancy, redundancy. Communications methods fail. All sorts of things happen. I mean, if you look at lower management, Manhattan on September 11th, 2001, none of the phone networks worked. They were, they, they were saturated with such a volume of communications hitting the towers that they collapsed repeatedly. And that can happen, especially in a crisis. I can only imagine. Now, we know that uh, multiple um, mobile towers were targeted during the 
looting that took place in KwaZulu-Natal, knocking out parts of the cell phone network. Uh, but we also know that um, if it hadn't been for that, it could also have been saturated because so many people sending messages or communicating. And here's another example. The state can just shut them down. They can't shut your radio down. They'd have to confiscate yeah. it from you. They have to come get it physically from you. But they can shut your mobile network down without even seeing you. They just turn off the towers, and they can order that. And the perfect example of that is Nigeria right now. In northwest yes. Zamfara State, where bandits have been kidnapping school children and the Islamofascists have been murdering and attacking villages, the government a week and a half ago shut down all GSM mobile communications. So nobody can use their phone. It's like they're living in the Stone Age. So redundancy, redundancy, redundancy. It's important. Whatever your means are, I mean, if it's a tin can and a string and it works, hey, use it, you know, whatever it takes, but have backup. Yes. And so we're coming up the top of the hour. We'll keep Simon a bit longer if he's able to stay, but uh, there is a question I'm going to get to here. But listen, I want to just say this to everybody who's watching right now, because I know a lot of people here who are either sightlanders or uh, sympathetic or empathetic with the sightlanders who come in for the stream today. Thank you so much. I suspect that you're not subscribers of Chris White African. Let me do a little self-promotion uh, here. This channel is by a guy who spent uh, a third of his life living in Africa, all over the continent. And I've done so many different things in so many different fields. I'm not a South African. I don't have a dog in the fight. Yes, I'm very very antagonistic towards the angry, naughty children, also known as the African National Congress and the Economic Freedom Fools uh, against those two organizations. But I am objective in my reporting on what they do accomplish and don't accomplish. So if you're not a subscriber, hey, it costs zero dollars, zero rand, no shekels. Well, you, you use shekels anyway. You can't go to Israel. They all got jabbed and they're all sick now. So you can't <laughs> so you can't so you can't use shekels. Uh, but it costs nothing to become a subscriber. Just hit that button right down there. Become a subscriber to Chris White Africa. I think in, we've just surpassed on the new channel here, after being censored on the old channel. We've just surpassed, I believe, four thousand three hundred. Thank you so much. Some people have already subscribed, apparently like the content. But people forget that. Subscribe. Be sure to toggle the all notifications. PooTube consistently does this to all content creators. They remove subscribers without any justification whatsoever. I have had moderators removed twice in the same day by YouTube with no justification. Their subscription was just removed. I have paying members who pay to support independent journalism who have their subscription removed. If you subscribe to a channel, make sure all notifications are up there. Make sure your app on your mobile is set so that you get notifications. Otherwise, you don't find about streams. But I do live streams every day, seven days a week, unless I'm traveling, noon Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. South Africa time, and it's anchored to South Africa's time. So when daylight shifts, I shift. It's always 6 p.m. in South Africa and 9.35. We do interviews like this. We've had Dr. Um, uh, we've had Dr. Corne Mulder on here. We've had Steve Hofmeyer. We have had um, Bantu Holomisa. We've had the head of the South African Macadamia Nut Association. Victor Matfield has been on the channel. The list goes on and on. We interview, well, I, I say we, it's me. I do interviews with people all over the world. So thank you so much. Become a subscriber. We're trying to regrow the channel in here and get 5,000 sometime soon. We're hoping for that. And I see the like button. It, it, it's come back to life slightly. We've gone from 164 to 171. I really think the 200 plus people viewing now could probably push it, make it go higher. Thanks for the super chats. The few that have come in, very grateful for that. Simon, um, that was a lot, and I gave you a chance to catch your breath there for a second. Let me shift gears real quick, okay? Uh, but folks, you're listening to Chris White Africa on the Adaba Africa channel here on YouTube. Thanks for tuning in. My special feature guest today is none other than Simon Roche from Sightlanders. And apparently there's a dog in the background. I just heard some barking. <laughs> yeah, I've got, I've got a few dogs. I hope you got some Rhodesia Ridgebacks that like to bite. <laughs> no, I haven't because my property is, the way it's fenced, it's uh, it's, it's not spacious enough. Ah. And I don't want to keep them in the back. But but I'm, I'm thinking of getting. Um, I've got a uh, two, two uh, bread hunting dogs, uh, small ones, you know, for, for small small stuff. 
And I've got a bigger kind of sheepdog cross that's really just a, an idiot, but she barks loud, <laughs> loudly. She really barks loudly. Well, well, she makes up for it by barking loud. That's good. You know, it's uh, it's it's funny you kind of mentioned hunting dogs. Um, it's been ages since I've been hunting, but I did see, I don't really go on Twitter very much, but I got a Twitter email update and I clicked on it and it took me to Renee Kruger out firing shotguns today. <laughs> Look at little Renee Kruger. It was big mm. shotgun. It was pretty, pretty interesting to see out hunting. But uh, all right, so Simon, let's talk about this. Okay, now- I'm going to preface this by saying that before Jacob Zuma, or when Jacob Zuma on the 29th of June was convicted by the Constitutional Court and sentenced to 15 months in prison, I said that this is going to be a problem for South Africa. This is an eternal civil war in the ANC, and I wouldn't be surprised if we have some sort of power struggle or palace coup or even some violence breakout. Now, I'm not saying I predicted the mass looting that was going on. I'm just saying that I predicted there was going to be some kind of problem, particularly when the police failed to do anything in Kanla, when people were violating the, the lockdown restrictions, thousands of people gathering, no mask, right next to each other. Not that I support the lockdown restrictions. I'm just saying that's they didn't do it. And Jacob Zuma gets up perfectly healthy, dancing on the stage with Ace Magashule and Carl Nehe house singing his little songs and he's perfectly healthy on the 4th and 5th of july he fails to turn himself in then in contempt of court and finally goes on the 8th he finally goes in but um the chaos that can befall south africa can happen very quickly as we saw in kzn the moy river toll plaza was attacked on the 8th of july and from there it went. They hit the main artery that services all of Southern Africa, taking out the main artery. And from there, started attacking key infrastructure, looting stores. Now, the reason I, I frame all this, Simon, is, 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 is to give you a fair chance to answer the next question. You and I have talked about this question. Uh, last year, I don't recall when it was, uh, you, were, you, you put out a, a warning about a pending, uh, th these are my words, so if I state it incorrectly, you correct me, okay, about a pending uh, cataclysmic event that is on the horizon coming, and it, it may be time for sightlanders to activate their plan. That's what I got from it. I may have inferred incorrectly. Um, that was panned by some people when nothing happened, uh, but as an intelligence professional, I don't know what information you had, and you don't have to disclose that, why you did that warning. Uh, I, I just want to get to the point where you thought you must have thought it was very legitimate. But as an intelligence professional, I can tell you that the many times that, that we predict things that don't happen uh, is not an intelligence failure. It's the fact that the reality or facts have changed on the ground. So this conversation I'm talking about, do you recall this? Can you tell us what prompted it, and, and what did I get wrong in my description of it? You got, you got nothing wrong at all. Very briefly, what happened is that a, um, a an employee of a big state department, I don't know whether technically it is a state-owned enterprise in the sense of it being a company with shares or whether it's a, a department, um, but in, in any case, a big, let's, let's say it was ESCOM. It wasn't, but let's say it was ESCOM. A senior employee of ESCOM is a family friend of one of our senior leaders. He rings up this friend and he says to him, look, you know that I'm not a state London and I don't want to, you know, cause drama and hysteria and neurosis, but as your friend, I've heard your spiel about state Londoners and uh, all sorts of related stuff for years. And I just want to tell you that I have just received a formal notice instructing me to, uh, it was five or six days prior to the 16th, so let's say by the 11th, my entire logistical fleet has to be in the compound. So in the run-up to the 16th, we will not be allowed to send out any vehicles, any technicians, any anything 
to service the electricity lines and problems with electricity and substations and what have you. In it's a region that's an enormous portion of South Africa. This guy is the head of logistics for, we said we'd use the, the, the example, false example, ESCOM for an enormous portion of South Africa. A very senior guy. So he says to our guy, look, I don't know, but they're saying that there is uh, intelligence and rumors that this coming to June the 16th may be uh, fraught with violence and uprisings and there are all sorts of rumors swirling backwards and forwards and they seem to be quite concerned and so they're telling me I've got to have every, every logistical resource compounded by, I think it was the 11th roughly, I could go and look at my diary, <coughs> five days prior to June the 16th. Not June the 16th, not the day before, not the, the, the weekend of the run-up, but the previous week. So we discussed it and we discussed it and we discussed it and we weren't sure whether we should react or whether it would be perceived as overreacting or not. And then we received, uh, I think it amounts more to intelligence than information, that uh, a big bottler in South Africa, now there are only two, it's, well, I suppose there are three, the Gilby's, Diageo, uh, Heineken, it maybe counts, but it's SAP and Coke dominate the bottling space in South Africa. One of them issued an advisory to their production people. Mm -hmm. And we got th this information from a production head for one of these big bottlers. He comes to us and he says, look, I don't know. I'm not sure, except that I can tell you that I have been told from the most senior levels of our company that there is some fear that next week we won't be able to work because of anticipated widespread violence and ructions and use whatever words you prefer to use around June the 16th. So we debated it for a few days and we decided to play it safe. We would issue a notice saying that we were concerned about this possibility. However, we would not raise our alert level. Mm. Now, uh, Chris, I tell you what, it's, it's just as well that I'm ill because my blood is boiling so much just to think about this. When you explain to somebody, we're, we're concerned, but not even concerned enough to raise our own alert level yep. and not concerned enough to initiate our national emergency plan. What did people hear? Yep. It, it infuriates me beyond words that I can find to describe it. So we were attacked for creating hysteria and neurosis, and I don't know what all words, when in fact what we said was, albeit very gravely, we said we are concerned. We have received reports. We're not sure if they're true, so we urge you to be vigilant and to be on standby. We urge you to take such measures as filling your motor vehicle with fuel. Yeah. But we're not going to do anything else. The fact that we were ever criticized is asininely stupid. Asininely stupid. I don't see how you can criticize something like that. We're concerned. We've received advice. But we're not so concerned that we're going to react. We're just telling you to be on standby. Any criticism, any criticism whatsoever is asininely stupid. 
Well, it was we handled it in the most balanced way that anybody could. And and here's the, uh, the, 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 I don't know, the, this illustrates the, 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 the daftness of how people listen to what we had to say. Mm -hmm. A senior member of another organization issued a uh, WhatsApp note a day or two afterwards saying, ha, 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 ha. We are not the kind of people that cry wolf. Mm -hmm. In other words, we're hysterical, right, right. we're you neurotic, gotcha, we're paranoid. But, but we recommend that you do the, the following. And eight of his 10 recommendations were precisely what we said. <laughs> well, there's a little bit of hypocrisy there, to say the least. But Simon, I, I, I want to give you a chance to answer that because um, that um, got so much attention, good and bad attention, a, a lot of it negative from people who... Now, one of my concerns, or one of my concerns, but one of my questions was, was, did you feel like maybe you got set up by someone that was an inside job? But it sounds like you got information from multiple sources that indicated the same sort of thing was going to happen. So I suspect you probably didn't feel set up. You just, you had information. And it may just be as simple as these state-owned enterprises and other organizations who have access to the levers of power but being informed by intelligence operators in the government and they got it wrong for whatever reason just like july 8th of 2021 when they said nothing or predicted nothing and i predicted that was going to be a problem on the 29th of june and these idiots uh, the, it's all falling apart and it's just looting it wasn't just looting a water treatment facility was targeted a crematorium was destroyed what are you stealing from a crematorium bones you know, handles of coffins and it was Radio communication towers, radio stations, four radio stations were ransacked that were reporting on events. That's not coincidental. Ammunition stolen from the port, yada, yada, yada. This stuff goes on and on. Anyway, Let but me tell you a story that I bet you haven't heard. Okay, go ahead. And this, this comes from a great source. Um, I, I, I've got to choose my words very, very, very carefully because sure. it's a sensitive source. There were attacks on all, all financial transactions in South Africa go through two, the only two servers that process them. Right. It's BankServe and I, I don't know the details. Yep. There are only two. And the Reserve Bank was informed by these bank ser services that process any and all electronic financial transactions. So if you make a payment from Standard Bank to, to First National Bank, or if you make a payment from, uh, or if you draw money from an ATM, for instance, mm -hmm. any, even if you're drawing money from a First National Bank account at a First National Bank ATM, it goes through this bank serve system about which I know very, very little. That's a clearinghouse. It's, it's a clearinghouse. Right. So the, 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 the Reserve Bank was informed of this, as I believe they have to be under law. And we were informed that at some point in time, the fear was, this was on a, a given evening, so call it six, seven, eight, nine in the evening, I don't know, they believed that they would not be able to withstand the hacking attacks. Mm -hmm. they, they were in that position where they believed they were going to lose the battle. They were going to lose the rugby match. In the end, they prevailed. They were able to hold off the, the hackers, and there was, there was no drama. But the words given to us were, go to the bank now and withdraw as much money as you can as quickly as you can. That is the degree 
of threat or fear that was being perceived either, I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth, either by the Reserve Bank as the recipient of this information or the information itself, what was being given by BankServe and co. Somebody was saying, guys, this is very, very, very bad. And uh, so we were told that. So, which just goes to what you're talking about. When I listen to people, I don't want to mention names, but when yeah. I listen to some of these analysts say it wasn't a plot, it wasn't orchestrated, it wasn't concerted, it wasn't deliberate insurrection, it was spontaneous. I just think oh, you no. poor fools don't yeah. know anything. And in fact, I almost made a terrible fool of myself because on the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh in the run-up, I issued a whole lot of messages i've got quite a i suppose maybe the word elite can be used lots of foreign politicians for instance Mm -hmm. who are sympathetic to us a a foreign whatsapp group Mm -hmm. and then i have two south african whatsapp groups which mirror that foreign group so whatever i communicate to some guy in the european parliament or you know to all of those people somebody at awc wherever i then put on the other groups and i was saying to these foreigners don't listen to these silly white people in South Africa who think that Jacob Zuma is ever going to be arrested in a million years. These are whites who don't understand African culture. They're so foolish and they're so silly and they're so this and they're so that. And then I gave my reason. I said, look, in African culture, you don't arrest a big man. It's not the done thing. You don't go after the chief. You, You don't do it. You just don't. And you especially don't arrest an older big man Mm -hmm. and you especially don't humiliate him by putting him in jail these are very you know if anybody went right now to let's say Cade Hostel in Pinetown in Durban and asked the Zulu guys there questions leading questions pertaining to this you would get this answer every time you don't do this stuff it's not acceptable in African culture particularly in Zulu culture which is a more uh, robust culture, let's say, than some of the African cultures, which are more acquiescent and flexible. So I said, this will never happen. Never in a million years is, is he going to be arrested. I said, if he is, all hell will break loose. And I bet you he doesn't even spend six weeks in jail. Mm-hmm. Violence breaks out and it looks like I'm the fool who hasn't a sing- no clue whatsoever what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. But 24 hours later, I look like the cleverest kid in the room. And it sounds like bragging. It's not really. It's not that I'm a guru. It's that I lived in a black migrant labor hostel. Kicked out of home. This is during apartheid. Only white boy ever, ever, ever heard of living in a black migrant labor hostel. So I understood these things. And I was able to make that prediction. It looked like I got it 180 degrees wrong until the violence broke out and until he was released on medical parole. I said, there is no way, no way, it's impermissible in African culture that he will sit for 15 months. Well, in fact, uh, on the 29th of June, on my, my videos I did the day, my live stream, and also my prepare video for the Concord ruling, I said that the moment that he's eligible for medical parole, he'll be released. It's as simple as that. And mm. I said, I wouldn't be surprised if he spends much of his time in prison in a medical ward. I wouldn't be surprised. And it turns out those both things were true. Uh, let me shift gears a little bit, uh, Simon, now that we've got your blood pressure back under control. and <laughs> So uh, two things. Uh, for my international audience that may not speak Afrikaans, um, Sightlanders uh, is uh, w- literally means in English Southlanders, correct? 
Yes. Okay, just so my international audience knows that. And let me ask you a personal question here. I know it's not about your favorite color or the aerodynamic wind velocity of Unladen Swallow. It's actually about uh, your surname. Um, it appears to be a French surname, and normally it would be Rocher with accent de goût on there, accent grave. Uh, are you, in fact, a descendant of Huguenots, or is this a later migration to South Africa? It's a later migration. In fact, it's 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 not Roche. Uh, it's not meant to have the accent. Okay. It is Roche. It, it's Roche as in stone or rock. Ah, you know, okay, to make okay. the translation easier. Okay. <clears throat> so it's really quite boring. And um, <laughs> it is. There are quite a few Roches, or it's often pronounced Roche in Ireland. Uh, Stephen Roche, the cyclist, and Raymond Roche, the uh, what was he for? I forget. Anyway. And uh, so Irish laborers who came out to South Africa, so originally French, people who fled the revolution, went to Ireland, stayed there for, you know, 100 odd years, and then came to South Africa as laborers. Um, and when I was a kid 50 years ago, 45 years ago, um, we, we lived in the, the, the remnant of what once was an Irish working class village that was built literally for these Irish people who came out from to work in the Kynock fertilizer factory for, for AECI in the late 1890s. So I'm uh, one, two, three, four. My sons are the fifth generation uh, born here. Wow, that's fascinating. You know, it's interesting because I was backpacking in uh, uh, Siebenborgen, that's uh, in Transylvania, the German term is Siebenborgen, the Seven Fortresses Castles, uh, back in 1998 and ran into a couple Irish girls and and some others, an American who wound up writing for the New York Post, uh, Dan Mangan, he still writes for them. But uh, these two Irish girls were backpacking. They'd been in Istanbul where they taught English for a while. And one of them, her, her name was Deirdre Roche, um, you know, obviously descended from Huguenots who went to Ireland. Uh, fascinating. I always wondered how she had a name like that. I had, I never made the link with the, the Huguenots. Of course, I know the Huguenots famously went to the Netherlands, Spanish Netherlands, to Berlin, other places, and eventually South Africa. So thanks for sharing that. Let me deal with something administrative real quick, Simon, before we wrap up here. Uh, there's comments in here saying, so Ronaldo gets to come here and run his mouth, uh, and other people complain he gets to say whatever he wants. No, he doesn't. I've chastised Ronaldo on the program before. Um, comments that are personal attacks are deleted. Uh, Citizen Guardian has just become a member. i got to do a salute for that real quick, Simon. I salute anyone who becomes a member. And I think that's a renewal for Citizen Guardian. But anyway, uh, no, it is a renewal for Citizen Guardian. He's, he's been around for a while. Uh, but um, anyway, so the, the, if, if people do personal attacks, and there were a couple of personal attacks against Ronaldo, one of which was deleted. So people should stop being so sensitive and relax. Um, Ronaldo was being cheeky, and uh, he was chastised for it. And I addressed that and brought that topic up here. So um, let's, let's relax on that and stop with the personal attacks and stop thinking people get special privileges. They do not. The concerns you have are addressed. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's enough of that. Simon, um, so... Day to day, um, does it take much effort for sightlanders, or is this something you have to put a little bit of time in a couple of times a week, or are you actively doing stuff, engaged? I mean, this is a, a full-time activity for you or just something that you deal with periodically? I'm just curious. No, it's a full-time activity. I'm a member of staff who receives a salary. Oh, okay. Um, and I'm, I'm very pleased to be here. I feel like I'm in the right place for the first time in my life. I don't think I ever, ever felt, well, not as a child, obviously, in my adult life, as if I was in the the place for me. So I do a lot of foreign communication uh, and I've spent a lot of time physically on foreign soil, dealing with all sorts of, I've been very blessed to deal with some really 
superb people in various parliaments in the world, and we've garnered terrific support. Um, and over the past year and a half, I've spent, you know, during the COVID lockdown period, I've mostly produced internal communication videos to keep myself busy. And then I run these, these WhatsApp groups. Um, but it's been a quiet period. You know, I haven't been as active as I would have liked to have been for obvious reasons. Um, and secondly, uh, when I say active as I would have liked to have been overseas because of the lockdown, I think that's obvious. But I think that there is a second reason as well, and that is that it seemed to me that we had created a critical mass of awareness in the right areas to the extent that we could. We were never going to be covered positively by the BBC or whomsoever. Mm -hmm. That we created good critical mass of awareness of what is really happening in South Africa. We were able to conspicuously embarrass the government over Cyril Ramaphosa's denial of farm murders, for instance. That's just one for instance. And that it was a good time for us to sit back a little bit, that is to say, off dealing Beitelands, foreign section, to sit back a little bit and allow things to develop because it, it can reach the point that you cry wolf, wolf. You know, and the strategic thing to do is to say, the mayor of this village denies that there is a wolf in the woods above the town. I can tell you categorically that there is a wolf, but it's destructive to shout wolf, 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 wolf every five minutes once everybody knows. The wise thing to do is to wait for the wolf to come out of the woods down the slopes of the mountain to the to the, the, the alluvial plain on which the, the town sits and to say, well, he's now on the, 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 the plain outside the town. And then to say when he reaches the outskirts of that, well, he's, he's coming into the town now and when he's in the main street and when he's at somebody's back door and so on. So we, we try not to uh, to be dramatic maybe uh, a little bit flamboyant, maybe a little bit uh, persuasive and cogent, um, maybe a little bit charismatic, but not dramatic as such, and certainly not melodramatic or histrionic about it. Um, yeah, so that's, that's what I do and what I have been doing and why I have been doing it. I hope that answers your question. No, it absolutely does. Uh, thanks a lot. I appreciate that. Uh, let me just address something here because it's gotten the chat again. Early on, I mentioned Ronaldo Jos was in the program. Um, he's a DA ward counselor from Nelson Mandela Bay, the guy who does an imitation. He's actually pretty good. He's very good with voices, I have to say, so and expressions. Uh, not the most complimentary uh, impersonation, but it's a pretty good one. Anyway, but uh, Ronaldo uh, was being cheeky early in the stream and said, ah, I see the used car salesman Simons here. Uh, people are still complaining about this in the chat now an hour and 20 minutes later. Folks, let go of it. Uh, you weren't insulted. Simon was attacked, and I was going to bring it up at the end of, of the stream, which I've just done now. Um, I think Simon has acquitted himself very well here. And, um, uh, of course, the person who made the used car salesman comment just bought a Chinese car. So, I mean, that judgment's a little questionable to begin with. So, anyway. Uh, but, <laughs> anyway. So, you know, uh, imitation imi Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. It is. Whether it be in mimicking somebody's voice or in using their expressions. And I am the one who popularized that expression uh, five years ago when I repeatedly used it in a number of interviews that I did. So thank you, Ronaldo. Uh, in your own way, you've made me feel quite good uh, about myself. 
I think, you know, uh, without getting into a slanging match, Ronaldo's entitled to his opinion. He's perfectly yep. entitled. But I think that what occurred in KwaZulu-Natal uh, eight weeks ago has vindicated Saitlanders beyond anything could possibly have vindicated us. You, you can say until you blew in the face that we should vote Freyheit's front because they, they're all about the folk or we should vote DA because they pick up the rubbish and there's just so wonderful people. And if we only held hands more tightly, the wind would blow through our hair and it would be so beautiful here in South Africa. <laughs> what we say is we think that this trajectory of South Africa is now clearly unstoppable. And it's going to terminate in a catastrophe. And we were vindicated eight weeks ago. So it's my opinion, mm -hmm. without engaging in a slanging match, I think that this is not engaging in a slanging no. match because I'm not attacking him. It's my opinion that it's a little bit maybe foolish now to accuse Saitlanders of selling secondhand cars or of being histrionic or of being hysterical, or of, of being his, uh, neurotic, because a, a, not a microcosm, but a, a, a slightly uh, smaller representation of what we have been predicting, what our leader, Mr. Miller, has been predicting for 25, 26, 27, 28 years, occurred before everybody's eyes. The very same thing. The same thing. Not something similar, the same thing, albeit on a smaller scale. Yeah. So Mr. Miller right now looks like the cleverest kid in the room. Mm. I don't see how you can say it's, uh, you know, selling secondhand cars, exaggerating, getting people worked up, being, I just don't see it. I just don't get it. No, I'm with you 100% there, Simon. That's, that's why I raised the issue so you get a chance to address it. I mean, let's just run through... Very quickly before we close, what happened in KZ and Tang? Billions of dollars, not rands, billions of dollars of lost stock, of destroyed property, of supply chain disruption, of ports being disrupted. Transnet has been hacked in the, in the meantime twice since then. In addition, we have, as I, you know, the government and the media were, were ignoring the deaths. I saw footage of bodies laying on the road, and I could verify where it was at because I know the spots near Peter Maritzburg and places like that. And they were saying a dozen people killed. And I said, there's no way. It's obviously many, many more than that. I predicted, sadly, between 300 yes. and 400 people. 400. It's 354 confirmed deaths now. We saw radio towers attacked. We saw water treatment facilities attacked. We saw the main artery, for not just for South Africa, but for all of Southern Africa. The N3 coming up attacked at a critical juncture at the Mui River Plaza. We saw over 100,000 South Africans participate in looting and barely 3,000 arrested. We saw a government that either intentionally ignored what was happening or was completely caught flat-footed deployed an army without rations sent police without ammunition if you don't think that this kind of catastrophe can happen across south africa then you're delusional you're absolutely delusional and if you attack and i'm not defending sightliners but if you attack sightlanders as a bunch of crazy preppers well guess what the crazy preppers got it right they got it right so reassess yeah. reassess your worldview and check your baggage at the door. And that's what I have to say about that, Simon. Uh, thoughts? <laughs> yeah, you, you're absolutely correct. You know, it might sound crazy to some people that we predict that the new South Africa rainbow nation won't work. But Mr. Miller has, has, 
has been more accurate over time than less. You know, so 27 years ago, when he privately had whatever convictions he may have had, informed by an understanding of social cohesion learned uh, through military intelligence and how societies and communities work and fractiousness and what have you, 28 years ago, it might have looked like, well, you know, is it Nelson Mandela going to turn out to be right? Is Mr. Miller, Miller going to turn out to be... By now, I mean, how, you know, every step in this journey, he's looked more and more and more and more as if his insight is better than anybody else's. And if, if anybody has any doubts about this, I urge them to look at the, the material published by the Institute for Race Relations five or six years ago versus what the Institute for Race Relations is generating now and what the Center for Risk Analysis, which is very closely allied to the Institute for Race Relations, but it's much newer invention, as it were, or creation, is generating now. I said to, to our leader, Mr. Miller, the other day, some of what they're saying, some, not, not all, but some of what they're saying is more radical than what we're saying. We've kind of kept to one single narrative. And in order to preserve the peace, as it were, we've tried not to be too antagonistic. And so we've steered clear of certain topics. We've been very bold in our assertion. There is going to be a civil war in this country. It's going to fracture along racial lines. Million people are going to die. It's going to be the end. Join St. Londres. Mm -hmm. But we, there's certain comments and remarks that we don't make. And there's certain comments and remarks that the Institute for Race Relations and the Center for Risk Analysis are making now that we still haven't made. Meaning that you don't have to believe me or like me. You can mimic my voice, tease, what well, it is fine. It's not the end of the world, man. But you must surely, at some point, begin to observe that the, the greatest independent voices, the leading thinkers in the country, the Institute for Security Studies, the Institute for Race Relations, the Center for Risk Analysis, have moved from 180 degrees opposite to us to like maybe 90 degrees mm -hmm. off our center or whatever. You make up a number that, that makes you feel comfortable. But these people are dead worried about very, very, very serious events. And I can tell you, Chris, that we have members I'm going to give some examples as tactfully and diplomatically as I can. Mm -hmm. We have members who are world, 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 world famous. People who are globally prominent. We have members who are nationally, there is nobody better known than these people. We have, I'm talking now clandestine members. We have members I introduced, I happen to know this one guy and he's quite shy. <clears throat> I introduced uh, uh, our leader, Mr. Gustav Miller, to this chap about four weeks ago. We drove a few hundred miles into the desert to meet this man in a very, very, very remote location, who is one of only four people with his qualification on the face of the earth today. We have, we have professors and economists and people in the mainstream and who hit banks and investment companies that are beyond Ronaldo Jose's wildest dreams. I'm not saying that every head 
of every investment bank in South Africa is a clandestine safe lover. I am saying that many of the most mainstream, influential, successful, wealthy people in South Africa believe that Saitlanders has got it right, that the DA is a waste of time, that the Freyheids fraud was never worth anything, that Afri Forum has missed the point. God bless them, they do good work, but it's work that's not going to change whether or not there is a cataclysm in this country. And so the list goes on without criticizing. I like to visit my brother in Cape Town because he's lived in a, a DA, whatever you call it, uh, region, mm -hmm. and there's no litter. I'm not utterly opposed to the DA. What I've said is what I've said. People mustn't read in all sorts of other extraneous nonsense that you know occurs in their mind only. There are many people who sincerely believe that South Africa is on a train that is going to crash with an almighty collision, the likes of which the world has never seen, including people who are, if I go to the United States of America, in any single conference, not the, the right wing thing is completely besides the point. Mm. This is a, a specialist in finance. Mm -hmm. There is 50% of the people at any conference in the USA know this one person to whom I'm alluding because he is uh, arguably the leader in the whole world in understanding certain aspects of finance. Mm -hmm. He's a member, he's a fee paying member. I think I've made my point. I think you made your point. Let me do a little bit of housekeeping and let me address something you said there very quickly before I move on to the housekeeping and then we're going to wrap up. Uh, the first thing, not that I want to, it's just that you're a bit under weather. I want to keep you here all day and we want to offer you a chance to come back on. Uh, but something you just said, whether South Africa is on the train to oblivion or not, what's wrong with being prepared? What's wrong with having contingencies for the worst case scenario? What's wrong with recognizing that a government that can't keep the electricity on, a government that abrogates the rule of law, a government that is full of appointed members of local councils and elected members who are criminals, many of them are murderers and facing trial and still getting salaries, a government that stands by and lets an entire province be looted and homes jeopardized, people murdered, a government that uses race to bifurcate and divide society at every opportunity. What is wrong with assuming that, hey, things could go bad in a country like that? I think it's just good judgment to be prepared. So that's in response to the train thing, because I'm agreeing with you. I have a, um, a super chat from Citizen Guardian said, thank you for having this conversation, Chris. Good guest. Great, or excuse me, similar perspective and outlook, not identical, but similar indeed. I think he means between his prepper and your view. Simon, even during a pandemic, the majority of people will always view preppers as crazy. Much love, says Citizen Guardian. So thanks for that. Listen to the 221 people who are currently watching the stream. Thank you so much. By the way, it's the largest audience we've had on the program since the July nonsense when I had huge crowds on here. So thank everybody for tuning in. I know a lot of people must come over from Sightlanders. If you're not a subscriber, smash the button right below there, folks. It's it's It costs nothing. Costs you nothing. Be sure to toggle the bell icon to get notified of all updates and watch for our stuff. I do Indaba African News of the Day seven days a week, and I do the Night Owls edition plus prepared videos. Anyway, so with that, Simon, I, I, wanna, I wanna say thanks a lot. Uh, it's been, I think, an illuminating and interesting conversation. I appreciate and empathize. You're clearly under the weather but you've been a great guest. You've had your energy. You, I was in your boots exactly a month ago. 
I was under the weather and doing two live streams per day plus doing research and it was kicking my tail, but I still did it. In fact, for the first week plus, people didn't even know I was sick. That's how well I held together. So uh, you're doing a great job. Thanks for that. Thanks for addressing um, the comments other people make about you and your group. And I really do appreciate Eric is just giving a super ch uh, sticker thumbs up. Thank you for that, Erica. And um, listen, you are welcome back on the program. If you'd like to come back on it sometime, uh, just give me a shout. We'll get you back on here unless I see an event coming up, then I'll ask you to come on. Um, in addition, um, if your founder has any interest in coming in the program, I would be glad to host him as a guest at some point. And with that, um, I will turn it over to you for any final comments or thoughts about what's going on or just, you know, how people can help themselves. And thank you very much, Simon. Bye-bye, Donkey. Thank you very much, Chris. Thank you very much for having Saitlanders on your show again. Um, I, I'd like to make two points. Firstly, if anybody watching this show has a heart for the work that we are doing, please visit saitlanders.org. You can see the spelling behind my head. It's really quite simple. S-U-I-D-landers.org. Scroll to the bottom of the, the homepage of that website where there are opportunities to donate. We are doing good work. We are boxing well above our weight. And we are defending the cause of Christian conservatism into the bargain. Uh, really, we would appreciate the help very much. The last point I'd like to make is a little prediction. I'm not, uh, I don't pretend to be prophetic or to have special insight or to be a guru or anything like that. But I think that by now it's reasonably obvious that the decline of South Africa, however radical it may be in your eyes, perhaps if you've still got a good job and you live four ways or whatever, you don't see much. But many people would say that the, the, the decline is very severe. However you see it, I think we can mostly agree that it appears to be managed and controlled. In other words, just as there's an almighty crisis, and it appears as if we are on the precipice, and there's hysteria even in the mainstream news, we seem to somehow get pulled back every time. We would say that that is intentional, that that is how the national democratic revolution works. And we would say, if you don't believe us, hysterical right-wingers that you think we are, refer to the work of Dr. Anthea Jeffrey of the Institute for Race Relations, who is by far head and shoulders the best in this field in South Africa. Right. So if there's a managed decline, a managed crisis, we think, we suspect, we are beginning to believe that you can see up until roughly, this is coincidental, the, the events in Natal, completely coincidental. We, we've spoken about this internally prior to that. Up to that point could be considered the daylight of South Africa, the daytime of South Africa's history, going back as many hundreds or as thousands of years as you like. And that we are now in the twilight period, the sunset period, which may last 18 months two years, something like that, roughly speaking. But that from 18 months from now, 16, 18, 20, 22, we will be in what might be described as the night time of South Africa, a period of time in which there's a strong likelihood that the government finances will have passed the point of where they can be juggled where social grants will be a very, very big problem in which 
the 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 the, the rand dollar exchange rate will not be able to be kept up artificially as it is being done now. We can speak about that another time. There's lots of persuasive evidence for it. So we would say, we, state owners, would say to people as a last word, I'm sorry I've been so long-winded. Guys, if you think about it that way, perhaps it will help you to understand as things transpire that we're not a bunch of hysterics and that it might just be in your best interest to join Saitlanders, you don't have to become a fanatical prepper, to join, to link up, to connect, to participate a little bit, to get some coordinates, it's not going to take much from you, and to think about a time in a year or two's time where we are beyond the point of any prospect of rescue. That's it. We think 18 months and we're going to be in great difficulty, not necessarily the end of the world, volcanic explosion, night of the long knives, but in a period that is very, very, very difficult for any individual or family to cope with. That's it. Thank you. Well, Simon, that's excellent. Uh, well stated. And uh, I, I, I can't disagree with your, your take on that. Um, it kind of dovetails with my analysis of what's going on in South Africa. We definitely will have to talk about the the uh, the illegitimate propping up of the RAND that's taking place uh, and, and other currency issues and debt and things like that uh, in a future stream. I'd love to talk to you about that. Less a sightlanders issue and just more a concern issue, economic welfare. Uh, somebody just said, that'd be great if I get Dr. Anthony, uh, uh, not Anthony, Dr. Anthea Jeffrey on the channel. I'd love to get her on, but I have no contact information for so i'll try this at some point so uh, by the way simon uh, feel free to add me to that international foreign politicians group if you want i've been on the verge <clears> of declaring my candidacy for office here in pennsylvania now for a number of months because i am hot full of this cock that's taking place here in the united states and i can't stomach it anymore it's just it's it's uh the distortions of our history the lies about our country the endless spending the racial bifurcation all of which is just beginning increasingly bile inducing if i still had a gallbladder i'd be full of bile right now but i don't have a gallbladder <laughs> so i don't have any bile but the thing is that so i'm on the verge of considering a candidacy i've been talking about this for several months uh the problem is picking the right office to have the right influence to get the right attention to things um, a number of other <laughs> veterans are running in this country because they feel betrayed by a regime that is a bunch of surrender monkeys and has destroyed our foreign policy. But I'll, I'll leave it at that. Uh, we'll get you back on, Simon. Hopefully you're feeling better. God bless. And, and I hope that you do feel better soon. And thank you so much for coming <clears> out. It's been a distinct pleasure to have you. God bless you too, Chris. And thank you very much. I'm gonna put, You're very welcome. I'll put you in the waiting room there and let you go. And I'm going to close out the stream here real quick. And let me just put you in that uh, waiting room. There you go. So... Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in. This has uh, been another, I think, epic stream. Whether you agree with Sightlanders or not, uh, whether you like Simon or not, really isn't germane. Uh, this was an informative conversation, and that's why we call it the Indaba Conversation with Chris. It's not simply an interview. It's it's an interview plus a conversation wrapped up. I hope you enjoyed it. If you're not a subscriber to Chris White Africa, hey, what's, what's your holdup? What are you holding out on? It's not like you got to pay for it. Just go ahead and do it. Some people have thousands of subscriptions. Just go ahead and become a subscriber. Help us grow the base, get back to where we once were at 22,000 in just four short months last year before censorship ruined the channel. Uh, if you want to see my spicier videos that include factual analysis of things like the pandemic and politics in America, I'm now doing teaser videos on this channel to highlight you and alert you to go over to Odyssey and Rumble to watch those videos. Uh, anyway, thanks a lot, everybody. Thank you for the super chats that came in. Thank you for the 224 likes, the 200 people currently watching the program. And my special thanks to Simon Roche, whom Kevin had told me was eager to come on the program. Well, you're right, uh, Kevin. Yeah, he was eager and he was a good guest. Um, and for those who were upset about Ronaldo, let go, folks. Um, Ronaldo got spanked and that's enough. And uh, 
let's um, let's just not do personal attacks. Anyway, God bless everybody. Have a lovely evening. I'll be back in a little under two hours for Night Owls. I'll be doing Night Owls right here on Chris White Africa. So tune in for that. That should be a little lecker conversation. We'll be chatting and just updating on a little bit of news today since we didn't do the news with the interview. Patrick Vukafenges just gave a super sticker for 14 Rand. Patrick, baya baya donkey. Que boa. Thank you so much. All right. And with that, folks, I'm going to close it. We'll see you in a couple hours here on Chris White Africa. God bless. Be safe out there.